to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we will actually be covering both chapter 9 and chapter 10. Um, but as we get started, what we're going to see is that Jesus is still in Jerusalem and he's still dealing um, with conflict with the religious leaders that are around him. Now, I believe we've all had a situation where we missed the point. Um, one of my struggles growing up and, and even still to this day is like song lyrics. There are, there are songs that, that I know, but I don't have any idea what they're actually saying. Many of Elvis's songs, sometimes I think he mumbled anyway, but I've listened to them all my life and sometimes I still can't tell, you know, why is he all shook up? I don't really know that. The one that made Amanda laugh at me the most. Now, I'm a country boy. I grew up listening to some extent to country music. And there's a song of some popularity called Friends in Low Places. And there's a part where Garth Brooks says, I'm not big on social graces. Well, most of my growing up, I thought he said sausage and gravy. And I did not know what he had against sausage and gravy. But apparently, I was missing the point. Sometimes there's a joke that you don't get and it just kind of goes over your head. Uh, sometimes it's something that's just too difficult to understand. Oftentimes there's no harm done. But when Jesus speaks and acts, we must pay very close attention. Uh, today we're going to study one man who really got the point and others uh, who missed the truth even though it was right in front of them. And so that's why these two chapters are put together. So the sermon in the sentence is this. Jesus is opening our eyes and leading us into an eternal relationship with him. Um, so I'm going to read you John chapter 9 and chapter 10. It does go reasonably quick, and, and I believe they really do go together. Um, so let's start. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. Night, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, so that uh, so he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, or one thing I do know, that, I, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him and for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the hand of the Father. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of, the, for which of them are you going to stone me? The, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan uh, to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. Okay. So we're going to look just two points. I know that's a lot, but we're just going to look at two points. First one is the blind leading the blind. Um, so Jesus is still in Jerusalem at this time. Um, he has spent some time in Jerusalem, and obviously conflict is continuing to build. Um, and, and so it's with the religious leaders. I'm sure there were 
hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that enjoyed listening to Jesus. They were watching for his signs, and, and they really appreciated what he was doing. Uh, but for the most part, the religious leaders were his enemies. So as Jesus was traveling alone, he encounters a man whose life he would forever change while also creating more strife between him and the Pharisees. At first, it is difficult to understand why would the Pharisees be angry that this man is being healed, but we'll see shortly uh, what their problem is. The ancient world believed that if a person was born blind, only God could give them their sight. Um, later in the passage, you, you'll hear the blind man who is really, really perceptive, by the way, for someone that, that had not been able to see. Um, he says, never in the history of the world has it been heard that a man that was born blind gained his sight. And so we know that for the most part, people that were born blind, the ex expectation was that they would be blind their entire lives unless God intervened. And so it's also uh, a thought in the ancient world that if a person was born with some major health issue, there must be sin involved. That's why the disciples were asking, you know, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? Where did the sin come from? Why has this man been born blind? Because they believed if God would not allow that to happen to somebody that was righteous, came from a righteous family. And Jesus tells them that some problems exist so that the glory of God can be seen through them. This is not a cruelty on God's part because the world is broken. It is fallen. Sin has stained this world. And so there are going to be things that happen. Some people are born sick. Some people become sick. God doesn't make them sick and he doesn't cause them to be born sick. But what he does in that situation is show his glory. Show the way that he can work. Show the way that he can heal or the way that he can help you to persevere. God will use whatever broken situation that you're in to bring about his glory in this world so that people can see him for who he truly is. So God did not make this man be born blind. But what he did was reveal his glory in that situation, in that event, through the blindness of that man. And it worked because not only did, did God do a miracle, but it was a miracle that was thought to be completely impossible. This was, you know, only the disciples really saw Jesus control the weather. Um, that would have definitely been a turning point probably for the Jews, or at least it would have given them a lot more to talk about. But this was on that same level. This was a, a, a work that only God can do, and here is Jesus doing it. Now, the paste or the mud that, that Jesus made with his saliva was to assist the blind man in his faith. Jesus had given sight to the blind without using a, a mud or, 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 or anything like that. Um, but the Jews did believe that there was, there was curative properties in saliva, and so that's w why he did what he did. So the man believed that if he did what Jesus said, that he would see. And so once the man received his sight, this is the really cool thing. He never stopped telling people about Jesus. When we see this man transformed, it's not just his eyes, but he continues to talk about Jesus and, and, and speak very accurately and very boldly about him. Now, we don't know what kind of life this man had growing up. One thing we know is that he was born blind, so therefore he probably never had a job and any means to live. 
We also know that he probably was on his own because his neighbors knew him as a beggar. Uh, his parents were alive, but it's very likely they could not afford to feed a man as he's grown, so he would have been sent out to be a beggar. That would have been the way that he earned his food. So he probably had a difficult life. One thing is pretty sure, he didn't study at a synagogue. He, he didn't study at a rabbinical school. But when you listen to what the man says as, it, as he goes forward, he knew God, and he knew the Word of God, and he knew who Jesus was from the moment that Jesus introduced himself. And so those things are very, very, very important. Now, the neighbors, uh, or, or he, he tells the neighbors that it's Jesus who had given him his sight. And obviously we see here the debate. Some neighbors say, well, it's, it's him. Others say, no, it's just somebody that looks like him. But he says, I'm, I'm the man. I'm the guy that could not see, and now I can. And it was Jesus that helped me to see. So these neighbors bring the man to the Pharisees. Um, and, and this would have been kind of a formal inquiry or investigation. So this would not have just been, oh, let's just see what the Pharisees think about it. No, this is evidence, and this is something that we need to bring before the Pharisees and let them investigate, let them talk about and so it would have had a, uh, a, a, an official air to it. They would have been interrogating this man, and then they would have been interrogating the parents. That's why they felt threatened. If it was just a couple of guys standing around saying, well, how'd this happen, and you know, who did this, and that kind of thing, that wouldn't have bothered people. But this had this, this feel of the official, and, and with lifetime-type consequences for it. And so they bring the man in. When they bring the man in, it is very clear from the beginning that the Pharisees don't care about him. Um, this is where we learn that the miracle was actually done on the Sabbath. And so from the beginning, the Pharisees are more concerned about a work on the Sabbath than they are about this man who can see for the first time in his life. Let me just say right out of the gate, if you like rules and you care about rules and, and things like that, that probably makes you a responsible person. But never, ever, ever forget the human element. In this particular case, the, the, the Jews were so concerned about their rules that a man's life was changed in a way that we can't even calculate. And they didn't care. They didn't mark it as special. They didn't realize that God had stepped into the world of man, broke all of our rules, and done something that no one else could do. They could not recognize that, and they certainly couldn't celebrate it. And that's the problem. That is the problem. They were blind. The blind man could see, but the Pharisees had become blind. Now, they believed that Jesus had committed a sin. So it's impossible that this miracle could be a work of God. They believed that he did not keep the Sabbath. By making the mud, by mixing up the mud, they believed that he had actually committed a sin, and so therefore he could not be uh, the Messiah, and this could not be a miracle from God. Now, at first, they actually tried to deny that the miracle actually took place. What they do is they send for his parents, and they basically are trying to ask, now, is this really your son, and was he really blind from birth? What they're trying to do is, is, is discredit the miracle any way that they can. Now, the parents will speak the truth that, that the boy was he's theirs, their son, and he was born blind, but they will not make a comment on Jesus. And we can see why this was probably such a formal and intimidating situation because they knew that they were afraid and they actually knew what the consequences would be. Now when we read that and we say that they would be cast out of the synagogue, 
Well, in our 21st century mind, you know, if, if you said something in church and we said, all right, you're never allowed to be here again, go away, uh, you would just go down the road or you'd go down the road or you'd go wherever. But that wasn't the way of things back then. If you were cast out, you were cast out. It was more like excommunication in that situation. And it was a very drastic and horrible thing for, for deeply religious people to be cast out from the, the religious center of their lives. It was something they didn't want to risk, not, not, even, not even for the truth. If there is anything in your life that is so precious and valuable to you that, that you would choose it over the truth, it's probably a problem. It's probably not the right thing. And so certainly that was a problem for the man's parents. But we won't focus on that. What we're going to look at is that the parents, they are afraid to speak tell the Pharisees, so they, they uh, tell, him that, tell the Pharisees they should be talking to their son. Um, and then the Pharisees try to control what the man believes about his miracle, but the man gives a bold testimony about Jesus. They say, give glory to God, we know this man's a sinner. And the, the man just gives this incredible, bold testimony about Jesus, and, and, it, and it's beautiful in its, in its simplicity, but also in its power. Starting in chapter 9, verse 25, he says, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They, they, they push him on it. They ask him, you know, how did he open your eyes? He says, I've already told you that. Um, and, and, and it looks like he's kind of sticking a, a, a knife at them, basically by saying, why? Why do you want so many details? Do you want to be his disciple? And of course, that made them all mad. They said, we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. We don't know where this guy came from. And, and the man gives this incredible testimony. Verse 30, he says, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God he does and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so this is this, this powerful testimony that he gives. And what we want to see here is that this man, born blind, believes that Jesus has proven to be God and because of his faith, or because his faith is unshakable, the Pharisees make him an outcast. This man, perfect theological statement here. God doesn't listen to sinners. If, if a person is not a sinner and does the work of God, God's going to listen to him. And basically what the man says is what Jesus has been saying. If you don't believe me, look at the works and believe the works. Because the works are the works of God. And that's what the man says, is, is look at the work. Like, you don't, you don't have to... Believe everything he says right away. Look at what he's done, and then that will lead you that way. And I think it's important at this point that we stop just a second, and, and, and let's say something. We live in a very skeptical world, a world full of people that don't really want to believe in God. They don't want to believe in the words. They don't want to listen to preachers. They don't want to read religious books. But you know what they cannot deny? They cannot de deny the actual work of God. Well, where do we find the work of God? In the lives of His people. What God does in my life, in your life, in the lives of believers all around the world, that's the part that is completely undeniable. And that's the part that some people have to see first. 
there are people who have said, the church has hurt me. The church has alienated me. The church has cast me out. And, and, and think for a second about what this man's going through here. Why would he ever want anything else to do with the Jews or their religion or their leadership again? Because of the way they've treated him over this. And so there are people walking around in America today for sure, and other places probably, that feel like the church has let them down. And so they're going to need to see the work before they'll ever believe the word again. And this is what the blind man is telling the blind Pharisees. If you don't believe the word, at least believe the work. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. And this is the point at which where the blind is trying to lead the blind. Because they can't see the work. They're blinded by their traditions and what's important to them. They can't see what Jesus is actually doing. And let me just tell you, you may never speak a testimony or a, a witness to somebody. I hope you do. But even if you don't, but you let, like we sang this morning, let others see Jesus in you, that is a testimony. It is a powerful testimony. And it is what changes lives. Because so many people have heard everything we have to say. But they won't believe it because they haven't seen it lived out in people's lives. Let people see the work. Let people see what God is doing in you. And it will make a difference. So I do want you to understand here the attitude the Pharisees had. Um, in verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? You can just feel the arrogance here. You, you can feel the, the disrespect and the disdain for this man. You ever met somebody, and you were just normal, in your normal clothes, your normal way of life? You met them, you talked to them for a minute, and you were convinced as soon as they could go wash their hands, they would, after having met you. I, I, I've seen people like that. They're like, you just know they're trying to get away from you so they can wash their hands and, and forget that they've met you. The Pharisees were like this with this blind man. They, they looked at him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't want anything to do with his family. You know, If this were an episode of The Chosen, we, we could almost have seen it. We'd have seen these guys in their pristine white robes, and we'd have seen them looking, and, and we, they wouldn't have wanted to touch the man. They wouldn't have wanted to stay around him or anything like that. And he would have been dirty because he was a beggar. And, and so they just wouldn't have wanted anything to do with him. And then they would have looked at him. They'd have pointed at him with, 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 their, with their old fingers, and they would have said, you're a sinner, and you would teach us? They would have done that. And you know, there, gosh, there's folks like this in, that, in this world today. There are people that think that we're ignorant because we believe in Jesus. Now, these people were convinced of Old Testament Scripture. They believed in it. But they didn't believe in what God was doing then. People today, maybe they're not convinced in the Bible at all, but what they know to be true makes what we believe to them a fairy tale. They believe that we're ignorant, that we're foolish that we have lost our minds and lost our sense and lost our way. We're believing in fairy tales akin to Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. But let me tell you, the power of God was speaking to them and it terrified them. And so they ran the man away. Now they made him an outcast, which means that he could have no part in Jewish organized religion. That's what that means. That, that's, not, that's not just that, that, that he couldn't go to that synagogue or, or in that area. He was an outcast. He was completely cast out. Now, I'm glad, I'm so glad that we hear this part of the story. Jesus, Jesus found this man after he'd been cast out. 
uh, and, and led him to be both a follower and a worshiper of the Lord. So he basically says, do you know who the Son of Man is? And he says, no, but tell me who he is and I'll, and I'll start worshiping. And he says, you're talking to him. He said, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. So, so important. Lord, I believe. And then he started worshiping him. We need to realize that is our response to Jesus. Not doubt, not questioning, not challenging. That's what we should believe. Now, when Jesus talks about this, he says, for judgment I came. And, and judgment can mean judgment in the way that we think that it means you're guilty, you're innocent. It can mean that, or it can also mean a sorting or a separating. And, and that's more what Jesus had in mind here. He said, because there's some blind folks that's going to see, and there's some, some, some seeing folks that are blind. And, and, and so the Pharisees are asking, so are we, are we the blind? Are we also blind? And what Jesus says here, and you can almost hear the sorrow in his voice, He's not winning an argument. He, he, he's not, you know, sticking it to him and, 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 you know, mic drop moment. This is in, in heartbreak. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There was no celebration in this. There was no joy in this. There was no conquering of the, the bad guys in this. This was the broken heart of Jesus. They, they thought they saw and because they thought they saw, nothing, nothing could be explained to them. No truth, no power, no work of God could change their mind because of what they thought they saw. Jesus is the light. And if we want to see, we must look to Him instead of seeking any help from the world, whatever it might be. These guys were stuck on their traditions. They were stuck on what they had converted Judaism into. Judaism, and we need to be, be clear, Judaism was a pure religion that God gave them. But they had converted it into something that was much more um, materialistic and it was much more uh, Methodistic. And, and, and because of that, it was not what God had intended it to be. And they weren't prepared to hear Jesus when he came because they weren't hearing the true word of God without, it, without the, the, the commentaries and the extra stuff that people had added along. And so they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. Now for us, there, there's all kinds of other things that would compete for, for our beliefs. There are all kinds of other things that would challenge what we might see in Scripture you know, there, there's, there's all of these, um, I guess, scientific explanations for, for how things happen and, and, and where things come from that seem to, to negate or, 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 or in some way refute the Word of God. But let me tell you, we can't look to the world for our help. We have to look to Jesus. Once we look to Jesus, He is the light. He opens our eyes and then we can truly see. We can see the truth behind all the things that the world puts up in front of us. Now, the second part of this, we're going to be looking at the shepherd, sheep, and goats. And now, goats are not actually mentioned in chapter 10, but they are mentioned in Scripture. And we understand that goats, not Tom Brady, um, but actual goats are not a good thing when, when the Bible refers to them. The goats are the ones that are cast out. The goats are the ones that are not allowed in. And we're going to see some that are not allowed in because they do not know the voice of Jesus and they do not follow him. So it's after this event with the blind man that Jesus begins to use an illustration of shepherd uh, with his sheep. This would have been an illustration that they should have been prepared to hear and even kind of tuned into. If, I mean, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, they should have understood that they are sheep, 
that the father is the shepherd, but for them this was a difficult thing. So a little background here, the sheepfold is a place where shepherds would put their sheep when they were away. So if they had a herd, and, and, and the fields would kind of be for anybody to, to, to allow their, field, their herd to graze, or their flock, I guess, but they would put their flock in the sheepfold to be protected, almost like a kennel for your dogs or something, if they had to go do something else. And when they came back, they would go to the door of the sheepfold, and there they would retrieve their sheep. They could call them, and because shepherds spent most of their time with their sheep, they could just call them. Even at night, they could call their sheep, and only their sheep would walk out of the sheepfold. It'd be something that'd be amazing for us to see today. It was commonplace then. And so Jesus is using this illustration to help them understand that there have been those who have not came by way of the door. They have not came by way of, of getting uh, the sheep the right way. It says thieves, are, or thieves would climb the walls uh, or find some other way in. And, and the point is, and yes, there were sheep thieves back in the day, the point is there have been those um, who have tried to pretend to be Jesus. So what Jesus is telling us, is that there are many who pretend to be him or to be sent from him, but only the shepherd will come through the gate. Why is it, do you think, that in the Old Testament the Jews were killing their prophets all the time? Because there were false prophets. We see the actual, the real prophets sent from God struggling with, dealing with, fighting against the false prophets. And so there were false prophets. There were people who were always misrepresenting God, pretending to be sent from God. Those things happened. And, and what it says is that the sheep did not listen. Now at this point we begin to understand that God gets to decide who his sheep are. It's not just who you're born to. It's not just what family you come from. You are God's sheep if he chooses you to be his sheep. And so that's an important thing that we begin to see here because it, 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 if he says, none of my sheep listen to these false ones, well, we know that many times in Israel's history, they listened to the false prophets and hated the actual prophets of God. So what Jesus is saying is there's a distinction between people who were born as Jews and those who actually are the sheep of God's flock. So because the sheep know his voice, know the voice of Jesus, we will only follow him. Now, does this mean that, we won't, that we'll never be tricked? Not necessarily. There, there are things that, that kind of take us by surprise. There, there, there's things that for a while it seems good and then it begins to disturb us, but there is an underlying current of truth that runs through the teaching of Jesus that we as believers recognize, that we as sheep will recognize. Um, so, the people listening to Jesus, they didn't understand this, um, this illustration at all. Um, but what Jesus is saying, he is the way for his people, and he warns us of thieves and robbers. These are going to be false teachers, people um, that, that, are, that are distorting the truth, especially manipulating it for their benefit. That's who those kinds of folks are. But we also know in the first century there were many people who claimed to be the Messiah, who came out and said, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. Um, another group of thieves were the religious leaders who claimed to be the only ones able to see the truth. Um, over the last 2,000 years, some of the most awful things that have happened have been by people who said, God says we should do this. Those are some of the most horrible things. If you look back in history, some of the most horrible things people said, well, God said we should do this. God said these words. Somebody comes to you and says, God said and then they start giving you a sentence that didn't come out of this book, be wary. Be very wary of that. 
there, there is a big difference between presenting what God said and presenting what we want and putting it in God's voice. That is a horrible thing to do. And it has led to some of the most awful things that you can ever imagine. Things that you cannot imagine. If you ever get bored and, and you've got a strong stomach, study the witch trials. Study the witch trials that went on both in, in England, Europe, and over here in America. All those were done according to God's will. But when you read that, there's, there's no God in that. And, and there are so many other examples that we could go through of things that happened. People said, well, this is God. Well, not necessarily. These are thieves and robbers also. These are people that presume to speak for God, and that is sinful. Today, we certainly have false teachers, but we also have people who have assumed authority only given to Jesus. There are people who say, this is the right way and there is nothing else. It's good to be resolute in what you believe, but there's a problem when you're wrong. The problem is you're not just suggesting, you're completely wrong. And that's the issue. And we have people that are like that, that say there's only one way, and if you don't believe this way, you can't possibly be a Christian. Jesus performed the greatest task of a shepherd when he laid down his life for us all. Here's the issue. There are a lot of people that presume to speak for Jesus. There are a lot of people that say their job is to care for Christians. But they wouldn't make a single sacrifice for believers. They wouldn't make a single sacrifice for Jesus. They wouldn't make a sacrifice for the church. Jesus laid down his life. That was a sacrifice that he made. Sometimes we may not know the difference between a false teacher or a thief and robber until there's a time for them to make a sacrifice and then see what they do. If they'll make the sacrifice, that helps us understand things. If they won't make the sacrifice, it definitely tells us something about them. No false Christ or usurper will die for the people of God. Only Jesus was willing to make that sacrifice. As he goes on, he talks about sheep, sheep from somewhere else, from another fold that he's going to bring in so that there will be one flock. And I want you to know Jesus is speaking of Gentiles like you and me when he says that he has sheep not of this fold. And so even at that point, Jesus knew and he was expecting for there to be a larger flock that would come from all over the world. So just know that, that Jesus always understood that there was going to be more. His work, which was, which was continued by the disciples, brings all God's sheep into one flock. Should there be unity in the church? Absolutely. We are one flock with one shepherd. Should that unity come with the compromise of truth or, 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 or biblical accuracy? Absolutely not. There, there are things that will divide us. There are, but we should be one flock. And so what we have to do is allow God to be the judge. Those that are right, we, they, they need to live the way that God told them to do, humbly. Those that are wrong need to allow themselves to be reproved and corrected by the Word of God and follow after Him. That's the way that it should be. When Jesus is talking about the sacrifice that He will make, it is very clearly that He has volunteered to give His life for us. He says, I give my life. No one takes it from me. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus is making it plain and abundantly clear that He has chosen to make a sacrifice for the flock. It's this not something that He is being forced to do. Now, as 
usual. Some people hated Jesus, and others followed him. Some people said, well, he has a demon, and he's insane. And other people say, well, how can someone that does the signs that he does have a demon? He's certainly not. And so there were people that believed and people that, that didn't. That's still true to this day. There are always going to be people that are divided by Jesus. He is, as it says, that great stumbling block. Um, some people did begin to ask Jesus directly, and I still believe this was a trap, but they were asking him directly, don't pull the wool over our eyes anymore. Just say it plainly. Either you're the Christ or you're not the Christ. And Jesus says, well, I've already told you plainly. You've heard what I've said. You've seen my works. For, for you, it's now your time to decide if you're going to believe or not. Now, it is at this point also that we learn of the security that we have in Jesus. So down toward the end of chapter 10, Jesus starts talking about the fact that, that we are in his hands. He said his sheep are in his hands, and no one can snatch them out of his hands. And the Father has given them to him, and, and the Father is greater than anyone, and no one can snatch us out of the hand of the Father. We have security. Once found, this is important, once found, we cannot be lost again. We belong to God. We are His possession. He will hold us. He will keep us. Now Jesus also said, I and the Father am one. So He says this again, and immediately the Jews begin to take up stones. They want to ex execute Him on the spot for blasphemy. But He told them that the, signs, uh, that the signs God performed through Him were a testimony to the truth of his words. He said, look, I've done all these miracles, these signs from God. Which one of these is the reason that you're going to stone me? And of course, they say, we're not stoning you for that. We're stoning you for, for blasphemy. But he says, if the works speak to the truth that he is the son of God, why would you call that blasphemy? And so he is asking them that question. So what we see here is that they want to arrest him. They want to take him, but, but he doesn't let them. Um, he, he moves on uh, from that, and he actually moves on out of Jerusalem for, for a period of time, may, probably about three months, because it is winter at this time. We know that he makes it his way back to Jerusalem in the spring, and we'll talk about that for the next several, several weeks as we uh, get into it. Um, but at this particular time, he goes to a place where John had a ministry. John the Baptist had been baptizing and had a ministry. Now, John did not work miracles or signs, but here's what's so cool about this. At the very end of chapter 10, it says that, that John had so faithfully taught them what to expect when they saw the Messiah, that when they saw Jesus, they knew that he truly was the Messiah. That is a wonderful testimony, an, an epitaph or an obituary, if you will, that John was so faithful in his teaching about Jesus that when he actually showed up to the people he had taught, they knew who Jesus was. And so that is a really important thing that we notice there. So, when we have faith, we can hear the voice of Jesus and follow him wherever he leads. That's the problem. That's the problem with, with those that wouldn't. When we are full of doubt and when we're full of fear... We cannot hear him, and we will wander around blindly like lost sheep. Did you know that believers can sometimes allow themselves to be controlled by fear and even doubt? Now, I'm not going to say that as a believer we are never afraid or that we never have doubts, but we can't allow that to have power in our lives. You know that, that part in the New Testament where it says to take every thought hostage? When we start having doubts and we start having fears, we've got to hold ourselves accountable, challenge our own minds on those thoughts, and then replace them with faith, trusting in Jesus. That's when we'll hear his voice, and that's when we'll be able to follow him. 
So how do we wrap this up? Jesus' identity was not hidden behind a veil. There were things that he said that confused people, but it was more their problem than, than anything that he had to say. They could not see. They could not hear. They could not comprehend. Hopefully we can. He performed the works of God, spoke the words of God, and came from the very presence of God. Jesus did not hide his identity. He did not make it difficult for people to understand. He made it clear that he was sent from God to save his followers. We must always believe that Jesus is active in our lives. There is no situation in your life that is hopeless because Jesus is there. If you were living in the first century and you were born blind, your case was not hopeless because Jesus may see you when he passes by. We must believe that he will heal our deepest wounds and lead us in our darkest times. Now, for all of us, those deepest wounds are going to be different. Sometimes it may be physical. Sometimes it may be emotional. It may be related to your family or your work, or it may be related to something that happened years and years ago. But whatever you have going on, you have to believe that Jesus is active in your life and he will heal that deepest wound. The moment that we want to give up is the moment that the light of Jesus can shine brightest in our lives. I believe that God is on time. I believe that he's always on time. And so there may be a moment where you are ready to give up. Hang on. Keep trusting in him. Keep believing in him. Look, the blind were leading the blind. The sheep were following the voice of Jesus, but the goats, they were bellowing against him. They, they, they were enraged because he was breaking their rules. They were enraged because he was saying things that they didn't like. The world is still like that to this day. We will break their rules. We will say things they don't like. But as long as we speak the truth, as long as we believe Jesus, listen to what he says and follow him, we'll be in the right. And remember, remember what the blind man said. God doesn't listen to sinners. But if someone is not a sinner and they do the work of God, he will listen to them. Listen to the blind man today. Maybe he can lead us as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just for the time to gather together. And I thank you for your word which shows us so many amazing things about Jesus. Lord, as, as we read this passage, you can almost see the heartbreaking situations that Jesus would have faced. Probably for every one man born blind that he healed, he saw so many others in hurt and pain. We know this world is full of sickness, sorrow, death, brokenness. But Lord, we know that you are active in this world. We know that you listen to us when we speak to you. So Father, right now, I pray that you help each of us to have eyes wide open to your truth. Let us be all ears for what you command us to do and let us be obedient and follow you. Who knows? Maybe the next thing that happens truly does involve us. We know you're active in this world. And I just pray that you remind us to be faithful. Just as Jesus allowed the works to speak for him, I pray that the work Jesus does in our lives will continue to speak about the testimony and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that 
that will not necessarily believe our words, but they cannot deny what you're doing among us. And I pray that that can be seen, and I pray that people will know that you are the one doing great things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.